Well, good morning, church. You know, the last time that Ken led us in communion, I, I preached that day too. And so I've decided that a new rule is if Ken is doing communion, then I go first. Because, man, he always gives such a good testimony and story. And uh, I don't know if he's in here right now, but I'm grateful for his commitment to ministry and faithfulness to celebrate recovery and the things that are going on in there. Uh, Genesis 15 says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. The Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full potential. When the sun had set and, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful for the truth that comes from it. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and what it is you have to say to us this morning, hearts to receive. And Father, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, that my words would be of yours and not of me. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There are people who love to make deals. I know a number of my friends that, that love to go to car dealerships and make deals. I am not one of them. I cannot stand the experience of buying a car. And I still remember the first car that I bought. I was 24 years old, living in Houston. And I called all these dealerships, and I went to these dealerships, and, and I, I couldn't do it because I had no idea what I was getting into. And so I went to CarMax. CarMax is no haggling. The price on the car is the price that you get. And so I decided that's the car that I'm going to buy. And so I sit there, and, and I'm with the, the salesman, and we sign all the papers, and he goes, hey, before you leave, i got to ask you this question. Why did you come to CarMax? And I said, honestly? He said, yeah. I said, because I know that when I walk out of here, I got ripped off. 
And he said, oh, that's interesting. I said, if I would have gone to another dealership and walked out, I'd probably think that I'm getting this great deal and they're laughing at me behind my back. But you know, and I know that I got ripped off and I can go and take my car and go home. <laughs> so he said, well, I appreciate your honesty. But every day we, we make deals, right? We, we buy cars. Uh, we go to the grocery store and we put these groceries in our basket. And when we get to the counter, the the cashier will say, well, that's, that's 92.83, and we have to give them 92.83. We can't take our groceries until we've exchanged with them the deal that we've made, right? Uh, we go to gas stations. We get gas, and we have to go and pay the gas, the gas station clerk. Uh, we take credit cards, and we have to pay our credit, credit card bill. Uh, we buy houses. We rent houses. Every day, we make deals that we're not even aware that we're making, And if we don't hold up our end of the deal, there's consequences, right? Because we have a legal system, we have a penal system that says, if you don't pay that grocery store for the groceries that you're taking, there will be consequences to pay. There will be a fine to pay. There will be jail time to pay if you don't hold up your end of the deal. And so in our culture, in our society, we've set it up to where we have consequences, We have deals that we know, I can make this, I can sign a contract with this person, and if they don't, here are the consequences that will be paid. Now, going back to Genesis 15, back then there was no legal system to hold up your end of the deal. Deals were made one-on-one, and there wasn't, if this person didn't hold up their end of the deal, there was nothing that could be done uh, as far as in a government, in their village, in their tribe, that would be done to punish that person. So they went into covenant together. And that's what we see in Genesis 15. If I was going to make a deal with you, we would agree to the terms. And depending on the, the extremity or, or uh, severity of the deal would depend on how many animals we're going to bring to the deal. And we, let's say we, we brought a cow to it. We would cut the cow in half we would separate the cow, one half on this side, one half on this side. I would stand over here. You would stand over there. We would repeat the terms to our deal, and and we would walk in between these animals. And as we walk, we would say, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, this is what's going to happen to me. That's extreme, right? That's more than a fine. That's more than a little bit of jail time. That's saying, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, Here's what's going to happen to me is being cut in half. And so that's what they did to stay in line with each other. In fact, that's where we get the term to cut a deal is out of covenant. So Genesis 15, Abram says to the Lord, I don't have an heir to, to, my, to my property, to all of my inheritance. I would like one. God says, That guy over there that you think is going to be the heir, yeah, he's not going to be the heir. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son that comes from your own body. Abram says, you know how old I am, right? And more than that, you know how old my wife is, right? And God says, walk outside, look up at the stars. You You see how many stars there are. Your descendants will be the same amount. I know you don't have a son right now. Trust me. And Abram says, how do I know You ever asked that question before? How do I know that you're going to do this? So God says, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, and a couple birds. And so Abram brings them. Now, God never says, 
what Abram needs to do with these. Abram knows, because Abram's gone into deals with other people, Abram knows what to do with these animals. And so he cuts them up and they go into covenant together for, for the promises that God has given him. There's so much going on in Genesis 15. If you're like me, sometimes when we read a passage like that, uh, you can get lost or confused uh, by the wordiness of the translation into English of what's going on in, in that passage. Here's one thing that's going on. At this time, there was the God that Abraham worshipped, and there were other gods. But gods, gods were not near. Gods were far away, and we did things here on earth to try to please the gods so that they wouldn't punish us. We don't ever think like that anymore, right? And so they, they go through every day trying to please the gods. Well, here's what happens in Genesis 15 is God comes down. God is near. So you can imagine the first people that would have heard this or, or, or read the story, what was going through their mind when they see God is near. And not only that, God isn't only near. This is a God who wants to do something good for people. Because to that point, people only did good for God so that they would not have bad things happen to them. But this God says, here's the deal that I'm going to make with you because I want to do good for you. That would blow their mind. You want to do good for me? That, that's not how this whole theology, religious thing works for you to do good for me. I just hope you don't do bad to me. And God says, no, we're changing that. Here's the promises to my faithfulness. Now, a lot of times uh, when, when you hear a sermon, it comes out and, and gives answers to questions that you have. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have a lot of answers today but I want to go through some questions and through some perceptions that we have of faithfulness. So as I was preparing for this, um, I just kept hitting a wall on the faithfulness of God. And so I sent out a text to a number of close friends of mine. And it was just, it was, I say it was a simple question. It's actually a very complex question, but I left it very generic. And when it comes to the faithfulness of God, what are some of the obstacles, doubts, or fears that you have? And I want to walk through just a couple of those perceptions, and maybe you find yourself in one of those. Because I know when I re received all of their answers back, I was like, oh yeah, that's me. No, no, that's me. No, that's me. Here's the first one. He said, when it comes to the faithfulness of God, I, I like it to start what I'm doing. But then I hit a certain point really quick that, that says, I can take it from here. And I got this. I don't want you to go too far away. Stay near just in case I need you again. But I see the route that you want to send me on and I can take it from here. And he said, it never ends up well. One of the second ones said, I can fix this. When I see a problem, when I see a problem in my life or in someone else's life, rather than then pressing into the faithfulness of God, my first reaction is, I can fix this. When it comes to our marriages, I know that I hit that wall a lot of times of when my wife is explaining a problem to me that she's having at work or in, in something else going on, or maybe with me, 
my first reaction is, well, stop right there. I, I can fix this. And she doesn't need it to be fixed. She just wants to talk about it. And I got to be honest, I'm not a great listener. And so I would rather just fix it than listening. So when it comes to the faithfulness of God, sometimes it's our last resort. Because we, we can fix it, right? We, we have the, the, the skills or the tools uh, in our tool bag that, that can lead to completing this. And, you know, again, kind of like the first one, again, God, stay close in case I need you, but I can fix this. Another one, one of my friends said, this, the biggest question I have that comes with the faithfulness of God is, is, is my faith strong enough for salvation? And what I hear in that is, is do I believe that Jesus is enough? And so in my mind, we begin making this checklist as we domesticate the salvation of God, as we box the salvation of God. Uh, we begin making this checklist so that uh, our debt versus our, our good that we do can equal to where I'm not in debt to God anymore. Where uh, rather than receiving the salvation that comes from God, I have to make sure that my faith is strong enough to hold on to it. Does that make sense? One of my other friends said, the, the biggest question that I have is, does my sin open the door for his wrath? And that goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about with, with Genesis 15 before covenant of when I sin, does that all of a sudden cross the line of grace, cross the line of God's faithfulness into God saying, that's enough, I'm done. And when, when I sin, the evil one pours in the deceit of saying, you've gone too far this time. And I don't believe the promises of God. And then the last one, what if God doesn't come through? What if in the end, God isn't who he says he is? Then what? You see, the faithfulness of God to really know it has to be pressed into. We can, we can know the faithfulness of God, but it's hard to experience the faithfulness of God unless we press into it. I remember on my wedding day, I made these promises to my wife. I made these vows to my wife that I'm going to be faithful through blank, through all of these things. And if all I ever did was tell her, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be faithful, but she never saw my faithfulness in action. She knows what I've said, but she hasn't experienced the truth of it. We know God says he's going to be faithful, but we have to experience, we have to press into the fullness of it to understand and experience it. Kind of what we were talking about earlier in our prayer time of God being in the waiting and the patience and the knowledge that God is near. Just as the Hebrews would have heard the first time that God is near. I have a preaching friend of mine who talked about a number of years ago, 
his life was just in a really dark place. His, his mom was dying of cancer, and his oldest son had made some really poor decisions in life that he was facing the consequences of. And he said, every night I would just lay in bed and I would pray that God would give me wisdom in how to fix these situations, wisdom in, in how to bring comfort to my mom, wisdom in how to, to change my son's life, and nothing would come of it. He said, one night I was praying, and the Spirit just said, you have to let go. And he said, I said out loud, if I let go, then that means I have to totally trust you. And the Spirit said, yes. And we've all been there. If we let go, if we let go of control, that means we have to totally trust God. And even though we know the promises of God, that is not always a peaceful feeling to let go. And it makes us very uneasy. And so we say, I got this. Stay near. He says, so I told the Spirit, all right, I'm letting go. And when I woke up in the morning, everything was still bad but I was walking in the faithfulness of God. Because the faithfulness of God doesn't remove our trials. The faithfulness of God doesn't remove us from the trials, but the faithfulness of God promises to walk through trials with us. And it promises that his presence will be with us through it. God is faithful through whatever we're, we're in. So if we trust the promises of God, if we trust the faithfulness of God, what's different? What's different tomorrow? If you've heard me preach before, you know that this is how every sermon ends. What's different tomorrow? Because of what we've heard in Genesis 15, because of what we've heard of the faithfulness of God, what changes our life? This is what I want to tell you. It goes back to that same question that Abram asked, how do I know? Because we want to know. We don't just want to believe. We want to know, right? And this is how Paul sums it up. He says, if the wages of sin is death. So if the wages of sin is death, and sin had no claim on Jesus, but Jesus bore, Jesus took the wages of sin, why would he stop now? When we share in the covenant of God through Jesus Christ, when we share in the covenant of God, when we share in what has been accomplished, we share in the promise that it is finished. So do you believe that the faithfulness of God is enough to forgive but not conquer? Because it would seem extremely ludicrous for Jesus to say, I'm willing to take it to this point, and that's it. On the burden that he bore, he wants to see it completed, and he wants to see it accomplished. Why would he stop now? At the end of Genesis 15, it ends like this. It ends with Abram in, in a deep sleep, and when he wakes up, a smoking firepot comes down from heaven and passes through 
the carcasses of these animals. And for us, we hear that, and then immediately we go to Genesis 16. Because we don't understand the scandal that's going on right there. And if you were, if you were a Hebrew and you heard that for the first time, there's something that would have stood out immediately to you that you would have questioned. And that's this. More so than just a smoking fire pot coming down from heaven, right? And floating through these carcasses. Abram never walks through the carcasses. So here's this covenant that's made between two people that Abram's set up that only God passes through. And you know what we hear in that? What we hear in that is God saying, no matter how much you mess it up, no matter how much you don't believe that my faithfulness is true, I'm going to be faithful to what I say. I hear a lot of people say, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, why is God so mad? Why is God so angry? Why does God do all these things? And here it is, early on in Genesis, Genesis 15, we see one of the first instances of grace enter into the story where God says, it's not about you doing this and me doing this. It's about me making my promises to you and I will be faithful to what I say no matter what you do. Oftentimes, it's hard for me to acknowledge the presence and the faithfulness of God on a daily basis. And so I wonder out loud sometimes to God, sometimes in my heart, I wonder, God, where are you? God, are you faithful to what you say you're going to do? And do you know, you know how much my acknowledgement of that for or against changes the faithfulness of God? None. Just because I don't acknowledge the faithfulness of God changes it none of whether his faithfulness is true or not. Just because I don't acknowledge the promises of God does nothing to whether he's going to uphold his end of the deal or not. Just because I don't acknowledge whether he's near or not does nothing to his presence near. And that's what he says in this story. Is when we enter into covenant together, I will uphold my end of the deal. We live between the carcasses. We live in this dichotomy of death, life, sin, conquered. And so often we struggle on which side of that we want to be on. And God says, here is my promise to you. This is the way Paul sums it up in Titus. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life, not because of things that we had done, but because of his washing and his rebirth of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask that you stand. I'm ask our altar team to come up to the front. And as we close this morning, maybe you're struggling to see the faithfulness of God in your life. Maybe, maybe you're on 
on good terms with God, as we say, and you're recognizing the faithfulness of God. Neither of those changes whether it's true or not. God is faithful to what he says he's going to do. And through the old covenant and the new covenant through Jesus Christ, God has lavished his love on you. And he doesn't stop right there. He's lavished it and he calls you a son and a daughter because of what he has done. Not because of things that you can do to add up to it, but because of what he has done. He says, my promises are true. Try them. How do I know? Try them. He will be faithful. This is, this is another way Paul says it when he's quoting an old hymn that they sing at the time. He says, even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. And when he's called you his own, you're part of him. He cannot deny himself. He will remain faithful. So God, I pray that right now that you are, are building within us hearts, feet, hands, mouths, ears that will be faithful to what you've called us to do. Faithful to the path that you've given us to walk. Faithful to your promises. Help us to walk faithfully as we take as we take the the path that you've directed us in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, I want to leave you with these words. Faithfulness doesn't mean do whatever you want. It means be who you're created to be. And the faithfulness doesn't just negate the paths that we've walked, but it directs the paths that we are to walk. God's faithfulness doesn't just say, I've wiped away the past. God's faithfulness leads us into the future. And God's faithfulness doesn't say, that means just go do whatever you want and I'm going to be faithful when you come back. God's faithfulness says, walk in this and be who you're created to be. Walk in truth. Walk in light. When you mess up, my covenant holds and walk in it because of the new covenant through Jesus Christ.